0: Welcome to the CX Impact Podcast. Speed up your customer experience success. The CX Impact Podcast is brought
1: to you by GemSeek, your trusted analytics advisor, helping you predict what your customers will do next. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this episode of the CX Impact Podcast. My name is Ivo, and I will be your host for the day. Now, I've been working in the CX world for more than 15 years now, and if there is one question that pops up, regularly when I talk to clients and other people, it is this. What is the impact of CX initiatives on the business? How do we know what works? How do we measure the value of our CX program? This is the topic we'll be discussing with my guest today. And his name is Mark Ratekin. Mark is a seasoned CX professional with more than 25 years of experience in the domain. He's currently a principal consultant at Forsta and a member of the CXPA Board of Directors. Mark, Welcome. Thank you, Ivo. Thank you so much for having me. Thrilled to be with you. Thank you. I'm sure we're going to have a really insightful and practical discussion. Would you like to start by giving us a quick intro of, of yourself? You've got an impressive uh, CV, and I, and I don't think my one-liner conveys this really well. Oh, well, you're
0: nice to say that, but I I would say um, I've been in the CX space for nearly 30 years, actually probably a little over 30 years, working with Fortune 500, Fortune 1000 companies, and not only helping them to craft their CX initiatives, but with a particular emphasis on how to incorporate customer listening into that process and to the topic today, how to help derive the business impact of those listening efforts. So. it's been a great career working with a lot of great clients and, and great coworkers uh, throughout my career. So I'm, I'm very fortunate.
1: It is truly amazing, Mark. I don't think there are many other people in this domain who have been in it for like more than 25, 30 years. I'm sure your experience will be, will be super valuable. But tell me, when I did the opening, I said that that's a question that pops up in basically every discussion that I have. And from all the reports that I read, it is really one of the other why of customer experience is really one of the big topics. Do you see it this way as well, and how has this been developing in the last well quarter of a century? So it's interesting. It is a very it's not
0: only a constant question, it's a persistent question. What I mean by that is we've been hearing this for about easily the last fifteen to twenty years, and if we take a step back and think about kind of the evolution of c x as a discipline, which really started out in many respects to the old customer satisfaction measurement days in the late 70s early 80s in those days uh, programs were looked at because it was intuitively obvious you know it seemed intuitively obvious the premise of if you treat your customers well they will come back and they will buy more and so there was a lot of adoption just based on what i would call for lack of a better word faith You know, it sounded like it should work, so it will. Fast forward, and now it's, you know, because of the advances in things like analytics and the sophistication and integration of disparate uh, financial and operational systems, uh, the, the buying on faith is no longer the case. We need to be able to show the impact, but it's the area that I think every organization struggles with at some
1: point. Yeah, so what you're saying is there is much more scrutiny on customer experience problems these days, isn't there?
0: Well, I think it's like anything else, right? If you think about it from the perspective of anything that you're trying to get budgetary approval for, at some point we'll have to be able to show some kind of tangible value to the organization. And that was true when, you know, the economy was much more robust now that we're in kind of this uncertain period of where the economy is going to go. It's certainly a uh, heightened uh, concern, which is why I think, uh, you know, if you look at Forrester, for example, one of their predictions for this year is that up to 20% of programs will go away. And and we're talking programs, not CX professionals, but CX programs. And they say, perhaps paradoxically at the same time, 10% will be stronger than ever. And when they diagnose that and say, how can both of those statements be true? Mm -hmm. It's the 10% that are being able to demonstrate business impact and to be able to demonstrate the value to the organization that will not only survive, but they'll thrive.
1: Yeah, Mark, to the big question then, are we becoming better at this? Because you said that we've been kind of answering this question for more than 10, 15 years. What are the advances that we have been making in this direction? Are we doing a better job? I think we're doing a better job, but we really haven't entirely cracked
0: the code. And let me just kind of delve into that a little more deeply. So if you think about the migration of accounting systems and financial systems and operational, you know, CRM, ERP systems, the ability to share data amongst various platforms has been certainly an enabler. So... You know, on the one hand, we've got access to all sorts of data that we've never had access to. Mm-hmm. On the other hand, there is kind of this idea of being data rich and insights poor. And what I mean by that is just having the data isn't enough. It's the ability and the skill set to be able to make those connections. And what I often find is that people who are customer experience professionals, they they really understand what motivates customers. They understand how customers think. They understand what the needs and desires of customers are, but they may not have domain expertise in things like finance or operations. And you know, one of the things that I often say about CX is, it's the liberal arts of business. And, and what I mean by that is, you really have to to be an effective CX person, be conversant in so many different disciplines, but you may not have a mastery of all of those areas. So part of the task is understanding what people you need to surround yourself with when you're building out your CX team to make certain that we're well rounded and that we have all of those functional areas uh represented. You know, the other thing I would say, Evo, on that is just in the from the perspective of how analytics work. When I first started, you know, the sophistication of analytics, we theoretically had models and approaches that we could use, but frankly, the technical horsepower wasn't really there to capitalize on mm-hmm. that. If you look at advancements in the technology and uh, how much more robust the tech stacks are today, we've got much more opportunity and options at our disposal. But again, it comes down to a skill perspective of having the technology, if you don't have the skill set, can certainly leave you in a bit of a deficit.
1: Yeah. So what you're saying that, that that we've got a car with a really powerful engine, but we don't really know how to how to drive it well still. <laughs> Is this fair? I, 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 I think that's right. I, I would use a personal
0: example. I can't drive a stick. So if I had the world's greatest car and it was a stick shift, then it, it, <laughs> it might be a good decoration for my garage. I don't know that I want to admit that I can't drive a stick, though. That's, uh...
1: and I really like the emphasis you put on the teamwork here. Because do you think that oftentimes we just expect from CX professionals to kind of be the one-stop shop and be able to do this whole thing on their own? Well, in reality, what's needed is a lot broader expertise that you can't actually expect one person to have, not to mention that you need much more data. So you need to work as a team, really, to get the data, to pull it together, to get the insights out of it and so on. Yeah,
0: you know, it's an interesting question, and it's another one of those things that we see coming at time and time again. There's a variation on this question Mm -hmm. that I hear from clients is, well, should CX be a department, or should it be something that everybody focuses on? And having that as an either-or question, I think, is really the wrong focus. I think you need to have a CX department who can help lead the charge and can help corral the efforts. Uh, But to say that CX falls under the purview of just one part of the organization is a bit of a misnomer. At the same time, if you say everybody owns it, then nobody owns it, right? So there's this delicate balance that we have to strike in terms of how we approach the whole CX discussion within organizations. And I think that really gets to the next point of how do we build out that CX team? You know, when we think about it from a governance or the CX commission, if you will, or a steering team, how do we build that out? And one of the things that I always share with clients, and this gets back to the topic of financial impact, one of the first things I encourage people to do is to identify a resource in their finance organization and bring them onto the CX team mm. and from time to time I'll get these you know a bit of an odd reaction of well finance people aren't really in CX yeah. I said well I, I, I am a former finance person so I, <laughs> uh, I, I can say that you know there is an inclination to you know be customer focused in a finance organization But the real advantage that these folks bring are, A, they know where the data are that you need to make your business case. Secondly, they can get that data. And third, they can really help to craft the narrative and the analysis around how that works. And that's so critically important because you want to have a bit of an insider's view before you take that to the higher level. You don't want to go to the CFO with a financial analysis that hasn't been vetted by somebody in the the finance organization.
1: That sounds very fair, which reminded me, do you think there is something like, do we start thinking about the financial impact too late a little bit in the process? Because obviously, there are a lot of challenges, you know, you need to identify the insight, then you need to turn it into a separate initiative. So you need to get people on board. So people need to start acting on that insight and start kind of executing this initiative. And because the monitoring and the financial impact comes so late, Is there such a thing that we don't start thinking about it until it's too late, in a way? Because from my perspective, if you if you bring a financial person on board, kind of upfront, then they can really help you out with it because they can recommend metrics, they can collect data for you, and so on. Yeah, and I
0: think this is where when we think about it from a CX best practice perspective, and this transcends really the idea of financial impact. When you go into a program, I always advise clients that you need to think about why you're doing this. What is it that you're trying to influence from a business perspective? And it really comes down to a handful of issues. And I kind of describe them as top line, bottom line, and culture. And what I mean by that is top line is how do we identify how to sell more deeply, get a greater share of wallet with our existing customers, how do we make certain that we are addressing any kind of retention issues that we're having how do we acquire new business how do we how do we make our organization attractive to new customers so those are all top line kinds of initiatives on the bottom line you get into the concept of well what is the cost to serve customers and oftentimes what we find when we're doing a cx program and you do some key driver analysis and you're identifying customer pain points What you'll often find is what is painful for customers is also very expensive for the organization Mm. to produce or, you know, that process is cumbersome and expensive. So you can have a real win-win just by changing up your workflows. You can make for a better customer experience that costs you less money to execute. And that's a true win. Culturally, it's about how do we weave in this notion of customer centricity into the fabric of our DNA so that we make certain that we have a common view of the value that customers play and how we're going to craft that experience that they have that leaves us in the best possible light. So those are really the three things, and you should think about that early on. In fact, a question I'll often ask when we're talking to a prospective client is I'll ask just that. Why are you wanting to develop a CX program? And the single worst answer I can get, by the way, is I've been told that I need to get an NPS score (laughs) or an OSAT score or, you know, something to put on a dashboard somewhere. Yeah. Because that's, you know, that's a very tactical, and there's nothing wrong with NPS scores and OSAT scores. You know, I'm a big data guy. But it gets down to the rationale for why we're doing it. And so the answer that I prefer to hear is, well, we've noticed that we're having some issues retaining some of our key accounts, and we'd like to understand that more so that we can turn that around. That's a much different kind of proposition. The tools and techniques that we use are often similar, if not identical, but it puts us into that mindset of how we're impacting the business versus just capturing a score and then trying to figure out what do we do with this.
1: That's a very fair point. So what you're saying is, first thing, If I'm a CX professional, if I put myself in the shoes of a CX professional, first thing I need to do is, so I I identify an area in the business that I can make an impact on. Let's say I need to increase customer retention. Then I find insights that help me guide my efforts, uh, so to speak. Then I design an initiative and then I monitor the impact of that initiative. Would that be it? Like steps? I think those are certainly the
0: first steps. And then the next step that we get into, and this is really where the state of the art has advanced, is the ability to then proactively look and forecast how people are likely to behave that we haven't ever talked to. So some of the behavioral profiling and some of the work uh, that we're able to do with things like predictive NPS certainly allow us to then say, who else out there? maybe having these issues? And how can we proactively do outreach to them? What's the next best action that we can take? Those sorts of things, which are very prescriptive. It's not about reacting. It's about seeing the future and acting on it to make certain that it doesn't come to fruition.
1: That topic I'm certainly really passionate about. And the way I think about it is it's very much like people in our personal lives, you know, and it's like, we do something and then we see whether it leads us in the direction that we want to and then we learn from that and we start making predictions in our minds you know so if that worked in the past it's probably also going to work in the future or it's probably not going to work in the future Uh, and that's how we learn but we do it in very quick cycles i think and we get feedback from the world all the time i feel that oftentimes in the cx world we work with very limited knowledge that, of course, has changed, as you rightly put it, with the advances of technology and the data that we have and so on. But I feel that we were still far from it, far from having a perfect picture. What do you see as the challenges here? Um,
0: so when we think about challenges, that's a pretty broad brush. So yeah. tell me a little bit more about what we're looking for from a challenges perspective.
1: So what's stopping like this question of financial impact keeps popping up, which means that people are having trouble solving it. Uh, And I was more thinking like, what's the trouble people have with solving that question? Yeah, so one challenge I think that we have is
0: is that we try to go from a state where we have no impact to something that is extraordinarily sophisticated. And so I think there's certain value to having a framework for how you evolve over time. Mm -hmm. So one of the things we do at Forsta is uh, we have a CX maturity assessment. It it is to our knowledge the only Uh, academically validated approach to CX maturity in the market. And we do this assessment and we come back with very strategic and tactical recommendations for how to move forward with your program. And so one of the things that we often see is this topic of financial impact or business impact, as I like to refer to it more broadly. And you don't have to boil the ocean. The first level of business impact is having the anecdotal information that can be aligned with your action management process that says, I took some action on this particular case and here's the outcome that came from that, which could be, you know, we not only solved that customer's problem, but we unearthed another opportunity that brought X number of dollars into our organization. That's financial impact. Anecdotal in nature, but impact nonetheless. And then building upon that, almost like this Jim Collins flywheel kind of analogy, where we build on that and then move it up the path to say, okay, how do we look at that then more holistically by segment or geography? And then how do we get to a point where we're actually doing much more predictive that says if we move something, if we move our scores from X to Y, this is the financial outcome that we can expect.
1: Can you tell us a little bit more about this customer experience maturity concept that you mentioned? I think that would be super interesting for people to know more about. There are a lot of organizations that have a maturity assessment. And
0: one of the things that we did that was different when we developed ours was we worked with consultants and academicians to really validate the framework and to help us to ensure that the advice that we were giving was going to have the outcome that we wanted. And so what we've identified in our research is there are five characteristics that really define the maturity of an organization. It starts first with vision, and vision is all about where the organization is going, what does success look like, and that's often a very top-driven kind of messaging. It really sets the stage for why you're doing what you're doing. It comes back to that initial question that I always ask prospects, why are you doing this? So you need to have a vision that can be compelling. Once we have the vision in place, then we start to think about the design. And design is the second stage of the model. And design talks about the tools and resources that we have at our disposal to make the CX program come alive. So that includes things like, you know, in, in the case of our our uh human experience platform with Forsta, that would be one of those tools. The CRM systems that you have would be a tool. The way that those things integrate are a series of tools. So it's all about the design elements that we have at our disposal to bring that CX program to life. Once we have that, then we focus our efforts on engagement. And we look at engagement through two lenses. We look at it certainly through the lens of how we are aligned with the objectives of senior level executives, that comes back to the idea of making certain your CX program aligns with business impact and the strategy of the organization. But it also means being in tune with people on the front line, customer facing people, people who are working in quote unquote back office kinds of uh, roles. Because at its essence, a CX program is little more than a highly specialized change management program. And one of the things that we've learned from change management is regardless of who is pushing the change or the vision behind it, it's ultimately the people on the front line that determine whether or not that change sticks in an organization. So you have to look at engagement from both of those levels. Once you have engagement, then we can start to have a a really good discussion around action, which is our fourth dimension that we think of. And action takes place in two contexts. There is the what Bain calls the inner loop, which is more micro level, that gets back to that more anecdotal, this is what I did on a specific account with a specific client, but also the macro or the outer loop, which looks across all of the data and looks for the trends and the guidance that would say, if we make these changes, we'll have the greatest good on the greatest number of customers in the mix. And action is so critical because it leads to the pinnacle, which is really what we're talking about today which is a value. So what is the value of the program on the organization in tangible terms? So we've identified these five levels and we have a methodology for being able to assess uh, maturity on each of the five. And then of course, we can roll it up to an overarching CX maturity for an organization.
1: Mark, what are the factors that propel companies through this journey? What helps companies advance through these stages, if you will? In, in your experience. It's interesting. So when we do the assessment,
0: we often find that organizations excel in perhaps one or two areas and they're not as mature in other areas. And so part of the diagnosis is what is it that we can do to bring those that level of maturity at because then that raises the entire maturity. And so it's often things like, well, how are we thinking about business impact? The value of the five dimensions value, not surprisingly, perhaps is the one that organizations tend to struggle with the most. So we talk about things like, are you putting the language of the program in terms of, again, those top line, bottom line, cultural kinds of dynamics, are you tying everything that you're doing back to some kind of either financial or business outcome. Mm-hmm. That will often then when you start to tease it apart, you'll start to find that well maybe if we added some people to the team or you know added some resource that will get us to the kind of information that we need that can be a catalyst for advancing the maturity. Mm-hmm. Those are just a couple of examples off the top of my head.
1: Sure. When you spoke about anecdotal evidence, that was really interesting question for me an interesting point for me because the way we usually work is with these bigger sets of data so more on the second stage that you mentioned but this anecdotal evidence thing seems really interesting for me because it's like it makes it a lot more entrepreneurial i think so you can actually do something today measure the impact uh, next week next month if you will and kind of roll it out from there or just ditch it if it doesn't work Is there something like this in this domain? So you do small initiatives, you test them very quickly, pretty much like a startup almost. Does this help this innovation culture in companies and action-oriented culture?
0: Yeah, you know, there are a couple of things that really speak to me about that question. Certainly there is a notion of design thinking that goes into this. Yeah. So that whole idea of ideation and how do we prototype and how do we evaluate There's also the idea, again, from a change management perspective, if you look at Cotter's model of change, a couple of the concepts that he talks about are building the coalition, which is really kind of your CX steering team, if you will. And then how do you identify and build upon the quick wins? Mm. And so that's really where the anecdotal, I think, has its greatest value because it can provide those quick wins. And again, because we know – that it's people on the front line that determine whether or not a program is successful. You know, one of the working theories is is that everybody wants to be a part of a successful winning team and everybody wants to be successful in their career. And so if we can help identify, these are the things that you can do to become more successful, then we'll get certainly much more adoption. And that's where the quick wins at that anecdotal level come into play. While we're doing that, We're then also compiling the data that will allow us to get to that outer loop kind of view, right? Because it takes a lot more data, you know, to do things like key driver analysis and you know the kinds of advanced analytics that will really allow us to be prescriptive about where to focus change, and uh, so it allows us to take action from the beginning and yet persist that in a way that continues to advance the value of the program.
1: Yeah, Mark, how do you see the future of this question about the return on investment from our customer experience programs. What do you think we'll see more in the next year, three years? I don't know. I don't want to go into the how do you see the, the future 10 years from now, but.
0: <laughs> yeah, you know, I, I, I think we're going to see again a heightened expectation, mm. but not just an expectation, but a demand to be able to articulate the business impact, particularly in complex uncertain economies anything that you can do to identify what the return will be which is really all about mitigating risk right because at the end of the day we are trying to figure out in an organization how to allocate our scarce resources and where are we going to invest and where are we going to not invest and we're much more likely to invest in those areas where we're getting a return again we're not buying on faith anymore so my I don't think it's it's much of a stretch or really, you know, much of a prediction, frankly, to say that we're going to continue to see this as an imperative. At the same time, I think we're going to see more and more advancements in the technology, uh, you know, the one that we hear about today is AI and, you know, generative AI and how that works. I think all of that will converge or should converge to help us identify what the path is from a business impact perspective.
1: Hmm. What you're saying is that the data is there, right? Because I think in the beginning you mentioned that we, in the last 10 years or so, we've seen huge advancements in the availability of data and how well companies can actually connect these pieces, because I think that's really critical for understanding the business impact. But the data is there, right?
0: Yeah, you know, it's it's interesting when you look at the maturity of CX as a discipline. So, you know, CXPA, of which I'm on the board, has been around for about 11 years. And so we're seeing some maturity in that space. From a practitioner perspective uh, or, or a consultant perspective, it's very rare that I talk to a prospect or a client that says really what I need is more data. Yeah. What they're often saying is I need more insight and understanding of the data that I've got. So really the task isn't how do we get more data? People who are quantitatively oriented like me would say, you know, more data is always a good thing, but it's not always a necessary thing, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's uh how can we use what we've got to provide a greater level of insight and this idea of prescriptive Action that we can take.
1: Yeah, because we've got so much on our hands, so much data in our hands. You know, it's what about how do we really turn it into a prediction machine? Mark, it's been amazing. Is there anything that you would like to add to our discussion so far? Eva, I'm interested. What do you think the future holds? I'm very much, when you said proactive, that's my kind of keyword for the future. I think companies will more and more go into this proactive domain and try to deliver value to their customers and with their customers. And they're going to do this proactively because I think so far companies tend to kind of disengage a lot of them once they do the sale, basically. So they take the money, they deliver the product or the service and that's that. And that makes it very transactional, I think. While a lot of the value is actually created while the customer is working with the product. So it's not enough that I buy, let's say, a hair dryer or a laptop that's not the value of of the of the laptop the the value of the laptop is what i do with it and i think companies can help their customers a lot in this domain by you know doing a lot of customer education if you will so how do i create more value with it um also by solving customers problems even before they exist if you will so if i if i know the, the the usage pattern of my customers I actually know where this is headed, you know. I I know that it probably in two months time this customer is gonna be unhappy or they're gonna have a problem with their product and, and so on. And solving this proactively I think it's gonna be it's gonna be really the key here. I'm also a huge not proponent, but I think that we're heading into more and more personalization domain and I think that's gonna that's gonna continue in the future as well. And I, and I fully share your view also about the connectedness. You know, as soon as we have the data points connected, it's time to start acting. And I also share your view about the anecdotal evidence. I think that that was a really good point that we can start smaller. We can start with smaller initiative. We can move faster. We can create quick wins and take it from there, really.
0: Now, I think the other thing that I would bring in today, I agree with all that, particularly you know with the focus on personalization and uh, really catering the experience to the individual. We're hearing a lot these days about the connection between the customer experience and employee experience. Mm-hmm. And you often hear this brought about as if it's a new concept. And you know, really, if you look back at the research, the, the original research around the service profit chain is, I think, over 25 years old. I, I had to go back and look exactly when that was published. So it's not a new concept, but it's been a concept that kind of like the concept of business impact we struggled with. So, the, you know, the immediate question from a practitioner consultant perspective is to say, well, why is that? And it's often that there are very different parts of the organization that deal with CX related issues versus those that deal with employee related issues. And that comes back to this idea of how do you have this coalition of people who can jointly work hand in hand. And so I think the ability to tap into the minds of our employees, not only from the perspective of kind of the, the idea of voice of customer through employee, but being able to engage our employees on the ideation process around a customer says, this is a pain point. How do you think we should solve that? Mm. Because one of the things that we've observed is when you identify a customer pain point and you talk to the people on the front line, they say, yeah, you didn't need to do research. I could have told you that. (laughs) And they know that because they're, they're working with customers. And what's more is that they usually have a number of ideas on how to fix that. What we've lacked is an ability to really tap into that collective wisdom of the crowd, if you will, yeah. of employees. And uh so we've got an approach we call force to frontline innovation, which uses this crowdsourcing kind of methodology to help us not only identify what the solutions are, but also how to prioritize those and have the best ideas rise to the top. So it takes that outer loop from more of a theoretical kind of discussion into a very practical hands-on discussion. And the beauty of it is that it does it in a way that impacts the employee experience as well as the customer experience. I think we're going to see more and more traction around that.
1: I love that point. Yes, involving frontline employees in the process. Sounds like really great and very simple and really kind of effective and efficient idea for that. Because... At the end of the day, I think you're exactly right. Whatever you do is going to end up in their hands and they need to adopt it. They need to to have the drive, the motivation to apply it. And that's also very much related to how do you treat employees? Yes. But Mark, isn't that all about really the proverbial organizational silos, if you will? And I think a lot of the discussion we had so far was about that really. If we work together like finance people and customer experience people and frontline employees and basically everyone... It's going to make life so much easier for everyone and the company more successful. What do you think? I could not agree more. And it's interesting because we create
0: silos because we have highly complex organizations and we need to simplify the view, right? But we also, from time to time, need to take a step back from that and say, okay, how do we make certain we're taking full advantage of all the resources that we got? So. I think organizational silos are a huge challenge. And really, to your point, Ivo, it's kind of the root cause in many respects to a lot of the challenges that we've identified so far in this
1: call. Amazing. Well, how do we break organizational silos is a whole different topic, I think, Mark. Uh, and, I, and I've and i also, li- just like you, I, I like Kotter's points um, in, in all of his, his book. And I think change management and learning how to do change management is really one of the Probably the critical skills for the future, if you ask me, not only for customer experience and not only for managers, but for everyone, really. So kind of the, the ability to envision change and to implement change, but not only within yourself, but also within the organization, that's going to be really critical. Do you have any advice on that? Um, I know it's, really, it's a very difficult and probably like very broad question, but I just got very interested in that.
0: No, no, I think it's I think it's a fair question. You know, one of the things that I've done recently is I've taken a bit of a retrospective view and and said, you know, what are the characteristics that we see in CX people who are wildly successful? Right? And some of the things that I talk about in that assessment is being endlessly curious, always wanting to learn, being able to develop and leverage relationships which I really think is you know one of the key aspects so that you can help bridge those gaps the silos exist so you know to say we're going to break those silos down is a bit of a that's a heady objective I think what we can say is that we can bring people together and perhaps bridge the gap in those silos and so over time maybe that evolves to a point where the silos are less apparent or there's better connectivity between the silos maybe that's the what the objective should be But those are some of the things that I talk about when I think about the idea of what makes great CX people great.
1: Yeah, that's very, again, one of a a very simple advice, but one that we often forget, right? Like personal connections, we somehow expect that these silos are going to be broken down by the top management and so on. Well, at the end of the day, you can just go and talk to the person next to your desk in the other department, right? And have lunch with them, ask them what they do. And that... Evo is why I think at Forsta, we are keenly
0: involved in CX. We're keenly involved in employee experience. We've got involvement across a wide variety, but we've looked at this in a more holistic fashion. This is why we talk about human experience, right? Because it's understanding that your fellow employees are also customers. They're also family yeah. members. We all play a variety of different roles. And from time to time, you have to understand that context in order to be able to understand what the nature of the customer experience is. And that's why you're seeing us focus much more on the concept of human experience because it's a much more holistic view of
1: the world. Thank you so much, Mark. Anything you would like to add before I thank you very sincerely for this very interesting, and I think. It's a very rare kind of combination, but both conceptual and very practical conversation.
0: I would just say thank you, Ivo, for asking me. I've uh, enjoyed our time together, and I love that you're focused on how we take this to the next level and how do we start breaking down the barriers that we've got. So I appreciate your efforts.
1: Fantastic. Thank you so much, Mark. It was a pleasure having you with us here today. Thank you. Thanks so much, Ivo.
0: If you liked this episode, hit follow and visit gemseek.com to learn more. Let's make an impact on the world of CX together. Thank you for listening.